Good morning and welcome to ASL's HR in 10 at 10. I'm Jason Perry and I'm Kimberly Bradshaw and each week we talk about what's going on in the lovely world of employment law and HR to keep you up to date with what's topical. I kind of think this week Kimberly there was a really interesting piece on part-time working and I, I thought we ought to talk a bit about that. What, what do you think? Yes, I have a lot of opinions about part-time working, as you well know, Jason. So I, let's crack on with the poll. I, I think I usually say you have a lot of opinions about everything, but, you know, <laughs> perhaps a little unfair. Yes, and I'm quite happy never to be right, or not always <laughs> to be right. So, Yeah, there was this piece of research by USDOR, the uh, union of uh, shop workers, shop and allied workers, wasn't there? And it really caught my attention because I think we're seeing more and more part-time workers and not just low-level ones. It's, there are more people who have one day a week um, non-exec roles. There are more people in senior management roles who are working part-time. And so this piece of research kind of caught me a bit by surprise. And the core of it is, and forgive me if I just look down to get the stats right, um, but a survey of six and a half thousand workers and Sorry, I'm talking about completely the wrong thing. I'll try again. Sorry. Time-wise poll of 2,000 people. Yes, time-wise poll of 2,000 people. I'm talking absolute rubbish there, aren't I? 48% of people um, wouldn't trust a part-time colleague with something important or a business-critical task. And I found that really quite shocking. I think it's horrific. Um, I don't know if that says something about the people that were interviewed, but... You know, there's a lot of part-time people who can very well deliver an excellent job, you know, senior or junior, and they, it doesn't mean they're any less business critical. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got a whole range of things going on there. As you explore this one, 49%, the whole idea that half of the people spoken to said it, it wasn't possible to have a senior level career on a part-time basis. I think those jobs are very hard to find because most people want full-time mm. people. Uh, however, you know, and I'm very biased about this because when I've worked part-time in the past, I've actually still worked full-time but mm. only been paid part-time. Yeah. Um, senior level roles tend not to be a standard nine-to-five. Yeah. But if people can make it work, there's no right reason why you couldn't senior on a part-time basis. Yeah, I mean, what, what's a shame in this research is they don't actually have any data in the number of them, but anecdotally, I would say there are more senior level part-time roles than probably we've seen in the past 10, 20 years. And over a period of a few years, it has increased. Yes, wasn't there a different survey that said uh, three quarters of a million people um, worked part-time in senior and business critical roles. Indeed, yes. 750,000 people in senior and business critical roles are working part-time. What it doesn't have is any data on how that's changed, but that is a reasonably significant number of people. Um, and the data on this is changing because in 2012, if we go back 10 years, 72 people, 72% of people... <laughs> 72 no, people, 72 yeah. 72% people. of people thought that they couldn't do a senior role on a part-time basis. Um, and clearly, 
that's going down. So we're moving opinion. But it's nowhere near fast enough, is it? No, and I still think it, it's not reflective of the world that you and I see. Mm. Um, so it's interest. I'd be interested to see, who, you know, that where they did their research, what yeah. kind of organisations well, were think, involved. I think the key point is here, and I know so many senior business people, whether or not finance directors, marketing directors, even managing directors. Um, chairman who are working part-time on a kind of three-day-a-week basis and how many actually are holding even multiple roles on a part-time basis. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's a problem of people doing it. I think the problem is the people, uh, I'm looking for a better phrase of it, but the one in mind I have is at the bottom, the junior members of the organisation aren't seeing that, aren't relating to it and they're thinking it's not okay and it will affect their career. That comes back to good old employee engagement, Jason. I, I knew we'd get there back there. So on employee engagement, there is the problem and that's what HR people have to do better in order to keep this shift moving. There you go, we can agree on that, can't we? We can, funnily enough. Let's let's move on a little bit. And uh, I, what, what, there are a couple of things we're talking about. Where do you want to take this next, Kimberly? Well, you know me, an employee well-being, mental health I issues. Thought, uh, you thought I'd want to go there. I thought you'd want yeah. to go with that one, but I just thought I'd... Um, yeah, uh, what, have, what have you been seeing? It's got to be Nuffield or Zurich. It was the Nuffield one I was looking at that said two-thirds of workers don't feel comfortable raising mental health yep. or emotional well-being questions with mm. their employer. And, you know, I completely agree with that. As you know, I've had uh, mental health uh things going on in my life over mm. the years and um it was never something that i felt comfortable about talking to people about until i absolutely had to mm. do you do you think that's changing do you know what i don't because i was talking to a lady with um she runs a, a charity called holding space and it's mm. it's mental health for parents yep. and, and children and what she was saying was that if you go to if you take a child to a doctor's with a broken leg it mm. gets dealt with immediately yep. if you get the, take them with you know chickenpox or whatever they get dealt mm. with immediately yep. if you go to them with mental health problems yep. and at the time her daughter was health harming suicidal mm. and running away from home at the age of 11 um, even if you get accepted for counseling mm. it's a two year wait yes yeah and it, Anyway, yes, I, so I'm, I'm saying yes. no to the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get entirely the point you're making. Um, but I'm going to do something unusual and I'm going to disagree with you. Um, no. Let's, let's first of all agree there is a massive problem in child mental health. There's no doubt about that. But one of the things that came up on our HR forum yesterday that really caught my attention, um, one of the HR managers was talking about they'd done an employee well-being survey in preparation for, I think it's Mental Health Awareness Week, which is very nearly upon us. And she said what really struck her was how much more open their male employees were being about saying, yes, I've got a problem. Yes, I'm struggling. And that is such a relief after, you know, years of the high percentage of male suicides. Indeed. But the whole idea that those employers that are asking 
And I, th I think there's probably a point here, and it's, it comes back to your favorite buzzword. Um, if you have the employee engagement right, I think people will potentially talk to you. And I think we are seeing an increase in, um, I mean, I'm hoping it's across the board, but certainly I was quite taken when she said that in terms of young men saying, yes, mm. I need help with this or I'm struggling with that, is something that we haven't traditionally seen as much. The yes, and I think the Zurich uh, report that you um, also mentioned, I think was encouraging with a 50% increase um, year on year of people calling into their employee assistance programs. Well, it is, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, yes, it's good that people are asking for help, but what strikes me in this is if you're an employer that hasn't thought to do a mental health survey with your people and doesn't have an employee assistance program, or even actually if you have an employee assistance program, you probably don't know that your people have a problem. And they probably, going back to that first piece of research by Nuffield Health, they probably aren't going to tell you. And yes. And it goes the other way as well. I think I mentioned earlier, uh, I've got a case at the moment where there's an 18-year-old man uh, working for an organisation. He clearly has mental health problems. Uh, he's in a very difficult position at home and he is just denying it completely. Yeah. And if he just reached out, it's so frustrating because if he just reached out to his GP and yes. said, this is going on at home, he would get so much more yes. support. But the point from a business perspective has to be how much lost time, how many vacancies are you trying to you know, refill, backfill when people can't cope anymore. And if we can get this engagement right and communicate with people so they feel able to go and ask for help, their employer can help guide them, um, signpost them to the right facilities either within private healthcare, if you have that sort of provision, an employee assistance program, or perhaps their GP. But if we don't have that culture, people are just gonna kind of sit there quietly and the problem's gonna get worse, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think, you know, the more that can be done to support people, the better. Yeah, indeed. Kimberly, um, we'd love to talk about this for ages, I'm sure, but HR in 10, um, We've run out of time yet again talking about employee engagement. So for now, um, I will thank you very much and uh, say goodbye. Goodbye. See you next week. Brilliant. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.